Welcome back to Sunshine Wilder. Today is part two of a crash course in trauma and healing. So if you missed part one, it's kind of important that you go back at least to the end of the episode, because if you want to know the healing portion and things that you can do to facilitate that, it'll be at the end of the last episode and all of this episode. Whereas the beginning of the previous episode was more about what trauma is and a deep dive into that and how it affects us and our bodies. And um, yeah, all of that good, good stuff. So today we are doing part two of the basically healing. So I want to pick up right where we left off. So I left off at forgiveness last time. And the next item on the list is utilize gratitude. Now as a reminder for people who didn't listen to the last episode or just if it's been a while, uh, healing and all of the stuff that we're talking about is not linear. These processes are not linear. They don't follow a point A to point B to point C kind of thing, okay? Nonlinear. It's also not very logical in a lot of ways. So you got to kind of be open to letting things flow. So when we're talking about healing and trauma and all of these difficulties that sometimes we you know have to deal with in life, utilizing gratitude is a perfect tool. However, gratitude is actually not just gratitude, in my opinion. Gratitude is a practice. You can't really have gratitude without practicing it or doing it. It's, it gratitude is very much an action-based thing. So with gratitude, you're going to practice every day. I would encourage you to write three things in the morning or at night. Typically in the morning is best. I think it helps set the intention for the day. But I do three things in the morning and it doesn't matter what they are. It doesn't have to be something big. It can be anything. It can be, I'm grateful for my dog. I'm grateful for my hot tea and I'm grateful for the night sky. Whatever it is, just make sure you're writing it down every day, three things. That's it. It will change your life. I'm not even kidding. So make sure you're doing that. Practicing gratitude. And a, a gratitude practice is so important. And it, it seems kind of silly at first for some people. I know that when I started, I was like, yeah, I doubt that that's going to do anything at all. Um, but it, it really is transformative. Uh, I was listening to uh, Glennon Doyle has a podcast called We Can Do Hard Things. And if you've listened to me on my podcast at all, you know that I love Glennon Doyle and Brene Brown. <laughs> and on the podcast, one of uh, my writers, my favorite writers that I've been following on Twitter for a long time is named Ashley C. Ford. And she was on an episode and she was talking about healing and she has a beautiful quote and it goes, we will never heal if we don't talk about what hurts. And I think that's so powerful because there's a little bit of accountability there. Like we have to step into this and acknowledge it in order for us to heal from it. So we will never heal if we don't talk about what hurts. Additionally, she goes on to say that people only practice what they know. And what they know is their coping mechanisms, their pain, their ways of dealing and their own emotional issues and traumas. And in order to embrace healing, you must practice what heals you. This applies to gratitude, but it also applies to anything that heals you. If you think about it, you have been practicing coping skills and mechanisms that once served you very well to protect you that are now potentially harmful to you or your growth as a human being. So it's imperative that we shift our practice as our needs shift. Remember that changing these patterns takes time. We talked about that last time. You practiced the old skills for years and got so good at those skills, those coping mechanisms, whether they were helpful or not. And now you're cultivating new skills and your success is based solely in the practice of these new skills. So that's one thing that I didn't really understand when I first started doing this work. 
Uh, I really dove into it. I know that I said that I started a lot in 2012 and I re- and I did, but I didn't really get the part about me being an active participant in all of that until about 2017. And in 2017, I really just didn't know where to go or what to do. And I remember being frustrated that first year, a year and a half, because I felt like there was no, I had no good skills. So in order to develop these skills, I decided to do some research and I worked with my therapist and therapy provided me with some skills, but they weren't quite enough for me. And so I branched out, I did some research, I read some books, I got very detail oriented, but I lost the key component, which is the action part, being a part of the healing and doing the actions, doing the practice that gets you there. And so I kept intellectualizing a lot of this healing. And it feels really good. You, you start to learn a lot. You start to understand things, which is all good. I think we should all understand our bodies and our mechanisms and the things that influence us. But there comes a time where, at least for me, I started kind of hiding behind the knowledge and continued to try and gain it more and more and more so that I could avoid being the active pers- participant and doing actions and creating practices that would help me. I don't know what that resistance was from, but I do know that I've experienced that and I've heard that other people experience it as well. So there's some kind of apprehension there. But that's an, a perfect opportunity to, to dive deep and say, hmm, why am I apprehensive of this? Why does this make me uncomfortable? Why do I keep running from it? And eventually you'll get there. So During that time, I was just really frustrated because I didn't know where to turn. And I finally realized it's the practice. It's the actions. It's all of the things that we need to be doing and not just intellectualizing that are going to help us. But remember that changing these patterns takes time. Cultivating new skills and your success is based solely in the practice of these new skills. I'll say that again. Your success is based in the practice of these new skills. I can't, I can't hit on that enough because when I was only researching and intellectualizing, it was helping, but not the way that it does when you actually step into it. And there's an accountability piece there. So you have to, and I think that's a little bit a part of why people get afraid is because they're afraid of accountability. The definition of accountability is the fact or condition of being accountable or responsibility. Now, Brene Brown has her own definition, and I like it quite a lot. It says, you own your mistakes, apologize and make amends. So basically, accountability is just acknowledging what is true and standing by that and saying, yeah, okay, I might have done this thing wrong. I might have not had great coping skills. I might not know how to do this, but, you know, I'm, I'm working on that. And I mean, of course, accountability is to yourself in this scenario. So you just need to be accountable to yourself and say, I know this is hard. I know that this is going to be a difficult road and I am going to commit to myself and I'm going to be accountable and I'm not going to make excuses and I'm not going to try to hide their intellectualism or whatever you're using to try and hide from working towards your ultimate truth and your authentic self. So you definitely want to practice gratitude every day, three things you're grateful for every morning, and it really will change your life. And your success is based in the practice of these new skills that you're cultivating. Next is inner child work. Throughout this process, there is a lot of inner child work that needs to happen. So when I say inner child, I mean each of us carries within us a young version or several young versions of ourselves who ended up harmed or sustained trauma or was stunted emotionally uh, in their growth in one way or another. And the inner child's desire in my case, and I think in most cases, is just to be seen, heard, and held, right? That's our inner child the kid in us that just wanted to be seen, heard, and held when we were experiencing trauma. As children, our perceptions are much different 
we are more in tune with the universe, with our spirit, with intuition. We're just more in a state of flow. We let things happen. We live in the moment. There's a lot of joy and flow and emotions and letting go. And that's more of our natural state. However, we are delicate and fragile, and we are also powerful and exceptional. So with the inner child, there's a whole lot. And there's, at some point, the inner child comes out. And as an adult, it is expressed through emotion. So for example, my inner child is triggered by not feeling heard. (laughs) So if I don't feel heard, my inner child is like, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not going to tolerate this. I am feeling hurt here. I'm feeling not seen. So as a kid and a teenager, I never felt I had a voice or that voice mattered. And my inner child screams (laughs) to be seen, heard, and validated in those moments but also just to be held, acknowledged, reassured, loved, as all children do, right? So when I feel as though I am not heard as an adult, my inner child comes rearing out, (laughs) attempting to protect me, and to be heard and saying, oh, hell no, we ain't doing this shit again, (laughs) you know, we're not going to stay quiet. I'll do and say what I want, and you'll acknowledge me whether you want to or not. And when I have that impulse to scream or get angry or make someone notice me, make myself heard, I pause now recognizing that it's just my inner child wanting to be acknowledged, wanting to be loved, wanting to be heard because she wants to feel safe and human. She wants to feel like she has a voice that matters. She wants to feel like she has a place in the world. And I think we all feel that way. And that inner child is very much a real part of us all of the time. And we're constantly needing to stay in connection with with that inner child so that we can continue to heal with that, that child who aches to be acknowledged and heard. Usually in the moment, I now stop and acknowledge her. I will say, it's okay, girl. I hear you, I love you, I will never abandon myself again in order to remain, um, I'll never abandon myself again in order to satisfy other people's comfort, basically. I will protect you, with me you always have a voice and you matter. And I just tell my inner child that. And typically this calms me and her pretty quickly. Uh, As the inner child knows she is safe with me and doesn't have to worry about being abandoned, unsafe or unheard again, there's this calm. There's this ability to be like, okay, I've been acknowledged. I've been seen. I've been heard. I'm, you know, it's okay. That inner child work is so, so important. And a lot of people, especially therapists, love to recommend writing your inner child a letter, starting with like, apologizing, if you need to, you don't have to, just for not acknowledging her, him or her or them sooner. Um, and just giving that inner child everything that you wish that she would have had or he would have had or they would have had when they were young, when you were young. And we can give that inner child everything that our parents didn't. That's another thing that's really important to understand is that you don't actually have to have your parents involved with this inner child healing work. It really can come down to just you. Because you as an adult now have the ability to give that inner child everything she needs to feel heard and safe and seen and loved. So... That's super important to understand, and it's super important to do. Again, healing is more about actions and the the practice of doing, not just intellectualizing or thinking. Phew. All right. So another tip that I will give you is keep in mind always that we heal ourselves. 
it is us who is doing the work with the help of our spirit and the universe and intuition, of course. But everything comes down to you and your practices. So if you have no practices or bad practices, you're not going to get very far. If you are expecting someone else to come along and save the day and heal you for you, um, that's not going to work either. You're not going to get very far. So two truths that you have to come to terms with pretty radically and pretty quickly is that you are in charge of your healing. You're the only person that can heal yourself and your practices matter. You need to have your practices, your skills in place, and you need to be doing them. Actions. The next tip I have is, is basically the same thing, but practice, practice, practice. Practice that which keeps you in your authenticity and peace. I can't stress that enough. People who have experienced trauma are so used to chaos. We become accustomed to chaos. And we can function in the worst circumstances because we understand survival mode and how to utilize it to survive. And we grew up in chaos in a lot of instances. So when you're used to chaos and you're used to feeling displaced and unsafe and unsure and uncertain and hypervigilant and always looking out for that next threat, there is no peace for you. There is no moment for you. There is also no present for you, for the most part. Unless you're just living in fear for a lot of, a big portion of it. So it's really important that you start to recognize what cultivates peace and what cultivates you getting one step closer to the authentic you deep down when you're peeling away those layers we talked about. And that's the stuff you need to be doing. Practice gratitude, forgiveness, flow, letting go. All of those things are going to help you. The inner child work, remembering to acknowledge her, and just taking breaks this was so important for me because I did not know how to take a break because I was living in that survival mode mentality, that motivated mentality. Like I got to heal, heal, heal. And, you know, and I was going straight solid for like 18 months. And finally I crashed at one point because it was like, <laughs> I'm trying to learn about peace and rest and changing the way that I want to live my life and getting closer to myself, but I'm not even giving myself a break to catch up. <laughs> So I, I recognized after I crashed, like, oh, something's wrong. What's wrong here? And I realized I didn't know how to relax. I didn't know. I couldn't remember what peace felt like. To me, peace felt like boredom. And boredom felt like peace. Because again, your emotions with, you know, when you've experienced trauma, they get all jumbled up. It's really hard to differentiate between them. So like excitement and fear is difficult. And then for me, like just peace relaxation and boredom it was difficult to 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 determine what's what because I had only experienced a, a very small handful of emotions for years and years and years and my practices because I didn't know any better were continuing to support just a small handful of emotions for years and years and years so once I figured out through, you know, research, experimentation, trialing things, trial and error, what brought me closer to my authentic self and what brought me closer to my peace, I started to keep a list of those things. And then I started doing them. And it's important that you continuously do them indefinitely. That's another part where I made a mistake. I thought, okay, I went back into that thinking like, okay, I'll relax, relax, relax. So I was really intense on relaxing. And then I go back and I'm really intense on healing. And then I really, you know, it's like a circle. It's a pattern. And I, I, I really struggle to break that pattern, that motivated pattern from that trauma. And I have to just sit and tell myself, it's okay to be still. Because I think, at least for me, when you're still and you're not doing anything, 
there's a lot of room for scary stuff to happen inside of us. Emotions can come through because we're not distracted. Feelings that we haven't felt in years can come through. Grief can come through. Fear, because it's our, you know, it's been our companion all this time, is right there anytime there's stillness. And so for me, learning how to be still without associating it with fear or with aversion or trying to avoid having to deal with any of that or feel things or be with myself was a game changer. I know stillness can feel scary, but we have to continuously remind ourselves when things feel scary that we are safe and it is going to be okay and we can do as much or as little as we want. We don't have to go into that survival mode brain where we're like, it's all or nothing, black and white. Um, You don't have to do that. You can take 30 seconds of stillness and then 10 minutes of distraction if you want. That's totally okay. And you build your tolerance up for these things that are new to you. Because it only makes sense that you would do that. You don't want to sit yourself or excuse me, you don't want to set yourself up for failure by saying I'm going to meditate and I'm going to meditate even though I've never done it before for 60 minutes. Because if you're someone who doesn't meditate and you're trying to meditate for 60 minutes, I assure you, it's going to make you never want to meditate again. (laughs) And that's the way it is with everything. If we try to force ourselves into these uncomfortable situations, all or nothing, all at once, we actually set ourselves up for failure. And that further prohibits us from being able to get to the place where we want to be, where we're in alignment with our true selves. So find what keeps you in your authenticity and in your peace and cultivate those things slowly. Cultivate them. Do what you need to do to support yourself during those times, okay? Practice, practice. Practice all that heals you or helps you feel your most authentic and full. Next on the list, we are going to utilize rest. Always utilizing rest. Our society, right now especially, pushes productivity to the detriment of self. Please rest. That's all I have to say. Capitalism will be there tomorrow. I promise. The multi-billion dollar corporations that are making all kinds of money off of our hardworking backs will be there tomorrow. The economy, all of the crap out there will be there tomorrow, a lot of it unfortunately, but we can chip away at that later one at a time once we get, we got to get down with ourselves first. We got to get in alignment at home, in our bodies, in our spirit first. But please rest. Please rest and allow yourself to enjoy relaxation, just to enjoy. Rest relax, and step into joy every once in a while. And that kind of goes into my next thing. Open yourself up to joy. I know that that's kind of silly in a way, because it's like, oh, well, duh, joy is good. Everybody should do it. But if you really think about the last time you experienced joy consistently, it was probably a very long time ago. Because as adults, we are trained to not value joy because joy does not make the world go round as far as capitalism and dollar signs and the things that the material world. So we've always been told to chase, chase, chase your dreams. And I feel like in a lot of ways that message is not a great message for people. And I think that without further speculation on that, I would just say it's so important to cultivate joy. Start experiencing more joy. And I would start with very simple things. Very simple things that bring you joy. For instance, right now on my kitchen windowsill, I have a vase full of yellow daffodils that I went outside and I decided I was having a hard day one day 
and I didn't know what to do. None of my normal things were working to get me out of this funk that I was feeling. And I realized, oh, a bunch of daffodils just bloomed outside and some of them were looking a little droopy. So I cut a few of them and I put them in a vase and it brought me an immense amount of just pure, simple joy. And I remember when I first got up, I was like, eh, I'm going to make myself do this, but I don't know how much I'm really going to like this, but I, I need to try something. And it's so funny because we can actually <laughs> just connecting with nature for that few minutes while I was getting outside, smelling the air. It's just the air outside is so different than the stagnant air in the house. Just smelling that air, taking a nice, deep, fresh breaths of this cool, crisp air, being around the forest sounds, standing there, touching the stems of these really smooth, beautiful flowers, then clipping them one by one, and they're making this really like ASMR clip sound in the middle of the nature background and sounds, and doing something with my hands, just doing something nice with my hands for once. It, it, it's just so grounding and so wonderful. And just the act of clipping a few of those flowers and being very like delicate with them, being very grateful to them, being very, you know, treating them as a sacred object almost really helped me cultivate in that moment so much gratitude, so much connection with Mother Earth and with the universe and with spirit. And then also it the byproduct was joy. I was genuinely joyful to have these beautiful, smell good, look pretty flowers and this burst of bright yellow, you know, in my living room. And I did that. I went out there, I clipped them, I put them in the vase, I gave them water, you know, I, I put them in the sunlight. It just changed my day. I mean, I've been talking about it for at least two minutes now. So you know, it, it made a difference. Um, but it's those small things that we don't necessarily think of. Like, um, oh, another example is that I hadn't had a certain type of herbal tea in a long time. And I decided to make myself a cup the other day. And it was um, a stressful day. And I sat down in a quiet spot. I just started sipping that hot tea. And within one minute, my mood just drastically changed. I just remembered what it felt like to be in my body and to feel that nice warmth flow through me. And then I just couldn't help but smile to be so grateful to be here, just experiencing my tea. And that brought me great joy. So make sure you're taking time to cultivate joy because joy can also be a complete game changer for people who are healing and who are going, you know, um, dealing with traumatic experiences. But also I would tell anybody to cultivate joy. It, anybody at any level of their lives, cultivate joy and have a gratitude practice. Those will never, never go out of style. They'll never treat you wrong. <laughs> Next is grace. This was a hard one for me to learn. Uh, I've said that a lot on this list, but it's true. Great. Give yourself grace. I developed a perfectionism complex in order as it basically as a coping mechanism for all of the childhood trauma that I sustained. And if I couldn't do it perfect or perfectly, I wasn't going to do it at all. And so I was so afraid of failure that if I couldn't do it perfectly as a beginner, just in the beginning, just first try ever, I wasn't going to try. I wasn't going to do it. And that is such a silly way to think. And I think it's just because we, we have experienced trauma and we are so fearful. We're afraid of judgment. We're afraid of being unsafe. We're afraid of not belonging. We're afraid of, there's so many things to be afraid of, you know, after you've experienced trauma that you just develop these coping mechanisms, which are, if I don't try, I don't fail. And I had to give myself a lot of grace about that and about a, a lot of other things I had to recognize that that was how I protected myself when I was a kid was if I couldn't do it and I couldn't be praised for it and I couldn't be seen as a good girl for it, I wasn't going to try because if I wasn't the best, there was no point in doing it and 
I didn't want to sustain that hurt and that rejection and that judgment because I already had so much hurt and fear and rejection and judgment in my life. That was my mitigation strategy was perfectionism. And I had to give myself grace and I still do. Sometimes I will learn a lesson and then two months later, the exact same thing will happen and it'll be the same lesson. And I'm like, why did I not get it the first time? Why? And then I have to think, wait, stop, hold up. Sometimes it takes more than once, right? It's almost the same thing as the practice. If you're not going to practice something, you're never going to get good at it. And nobody is perfect at something right out of the gate. It takes practice. And so I have to give myself grace in a lot of these instances. And I have to give myself grace about thinking negatively sometimes about these things. Because it's like, yeah, when I'm frustrated or I'm feeling bad or I haven't slept enough or whatever the case may be, I am not fully functioning the way that I want to be. I'm not fully rested. I'm not positive. I'm not, you know, these are all things that impact my ability to be in alignment with who I am and who I want to be. And so I have to give myself grace and say, okay, stop trying to be perfect and just be. That's the goal. We're just trying to be humans being, right? And so you have to give yourself grace. Healing is a huge, huge undertaking. And the process of peeling back those layers until we find ourselves is almost never ending. Mistakes will be made. They will. And we have to just accept that. And some lessons are harder than others to learn. And we have to accept that too. You will feel like giving up some days. That's also something we need to accept. But as long as we're persistent in that practice and committed to just putting one foot in front of the other, we're going to be okay. And even if we don't for a day, two days, a week, two weeks, a year, whatever, we're still going to be okay. We may not be where we want to be. We may not be totally in alignment with what is, but we will still be okay. One of the last things on the list is no, just no. And what I mean by that is there is a knowing that comes along on this journey with you. It creeps in just as you don't expect it typically. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, there is a knowing and know that everything is and will be all right. Know there will be bumps in the road and there will be mountaintops. Know that everything is temporary. Know that the state of the universe is an ebb and a flow. Know that you can trust in yourself and in the universe and in spirit and in everything around you to be as it is and that it is the way it is because it should be that way. (laughs) That was pretty convoluted, but just trust that everything is the way it is because it's supposed to be. And I think that that knowing just comes along with the practice of everything else that we've talked about on this journey. So that knowing will come. And I have to say like faith really helps. I still struggle with having faith that everything's going to be okay. Because that trauma is deep. And I've had that for years and years and years, decades even. So yes, occasionally my faith is tested. I'm like, I don't know. I'm not sure. There's a lot of doubt. But at the end of the day, I just remember, well, all I can do is keep putting one foot in front of the other and reminding myself I'm going to be okay and that I am okay and I am safe now. I am safe in my body and my circumstances and my environment. I'm safe in spirit. There is always a place inside of you inside of each of us that we can go and be safe. That is true. A hundred percent of the time. And I think the people who have experienced trauma are kind of afraid of that place. But it is such a good place. And I think it's so important to discover. And that's why building that relationship with self is so important through this whole process. 
just getting to build that relationship with self, peeling back the layers, seeing who you really are more and more and letting that shine. So vital to this process and to the human experience. So just know. (laughs) Now I have another short list um, to add to your healing journey at any time. So these are things you can do that add to the healing journey, that add to the experience, and that really kind of help you uh, put this all together in kind of a, a action plan. So that'll help you to be consistent and kind of create habits around this journey. So the first thing is rituals. Rituals are very helpful. And so are spiritual practices. They help to motivate you in a way. I wouldn't even say motivate, honestly. It's more about creating a habit. So rituals are helpful as our spiritual practices to help remain in practice, okay? And remind us that this work is sacred, that we are sacred. And I know some people are kind of turned off by the word sacred because they're just, they've got this picture of what sacredness is in their mind. And what I mean when I say sacred is I just mean that some things are only for us. They're only for us between ourselves, spirit, God, oversoul, you know, um, universe, just that part of us. And when something is sacred, it's extra special to us. And we want to make sure that we are treating sacred rituals, spiritual practices with care. And so we're reminding ourselves that our work and our bodies and our spirits are sacred. They are worth putting in the care and the love that they receive. So rituals, spiritual practices, very helpful. Soulful body movement is another one of my favorite things to utilize on the healing journey. It's a really good way to stay in touch with body and also flow with spirit. And it reintegrates body, or money. <laughs> it reintegrates body, mind, and spirit. Okay. And they've actually done studies on yoga. Yoga is one that is really a good um, soulful body movement where it actually does rewire the brain and it helps facilitate healing from PTSD, CPTSD, and childhood trauma. So if you're really struggling with that and you need a way to incorporate your body into this healing process, yoga is a tried and true, scientifically proven, excellent way to go about this. And I think that the, tr- the study that I'm thinking of, the, it was over a 16-week period, and I think you were supposed to do it three times a week. It has just easy flow. Just make sure you're doing it. I think it was 30, to- 30 minutes every time. And they said that it was like a profound difference. It made a profound effect in people who had somatization issues or somatic issues, pains, aches, migraines, um, all kinds of different stuff associated with their trauma or post-traumatic stress disorder. So yoga is a really great one and that's scientifically proven. I know that a lot of cultures love dancing. I personally love dancing and just staying present in my body as I'm dancing, knowing that my arms are moving with my hips and we're swaying together and like getting really into it and my spirit's into it and I'm just, you know, very present So dancing is another great way. Uh, I would say that this is not a body movement, but I do know that they have also done research around singing for reintegrating body, mind, and spirit. And singing is a great way to get yourself in alignment um, with traumatic stress and things like that. So singing, dancing, yoga, just soulful body movement, stretching, daily stretching is great for your body. Um... It keeps the muscles limber and prevents uh, chronic muscle tension, which is what I have, which I promise you, you do not want. Uh, So yeah, there's lots of different things you can do for soulful body movement. 
The next thing is smells. So scents put us into our body and into the present moment of the practice, which is very important and it's grounding. So using scents or smells is a really great way to incorporate all of this together and make it more cohesive. Uh, You can use essential oils, candles, diffusers, anything that vibes with you positively in your space to keep your sense of smell connected and your body grounded in the practice. I often use a diffuser and I just uh, put, you know, 15 drops into this diffuser and it runs for, I don't know, like 18 hours. It's a really awesome one. And I just let it run all day and I, I usually put smells or scents that make me feel warm and comfortable, but sometimes also a little bit joyful or exuberant. I love to do bergamot, oranges, lemons, even a little peppermint or things like that are a little more stimulating. And so that kind of helps me and it, but it also grounds me and it makes me feel safe and it reduces anxiety. And I really, really love diffusers. I know a lot of other people do other things. So there's lots of options out there for scents or smells. So um, go ahead and research that. I would implore you to do so. And I think smells are a great way to keep us present and grounded. Journaling. So journaling is great for observation, thought modification, and just recognizing that our thoughts are not us. So when we realize that our thoughts are not who we are, we become liberated. We are free to recognize and embrace our true selves, our soul selves, the selves that are underneath all of those layers of trauma and bad programming. It is so freeing to realize and really realize that your thoughts are not who you are. So don't identify with them. If you have a crazy thought, don't be like, wow, I can't believe I had that crazy thought. What does that say about me? It says nothing about you. That's the thing. Once I recognize that my mind is a computer that runs my body (laughs) and it can be a useful tool for a lot of things and it can be an amazing thing. The brain is incredible. But I also, once I realized that my brain is not who I am, whoa, huge transformation. So I had to recognize that sometimes I have crazy ass thoughts and I have no idea where they come from. And I just think, okay, well, that was a crazy ass thought. See you later. (laughs) My computer is on some shit today. (laughs) So yeah, that's all I feel about that. I mean, you just got to remember that your thoughts are not who you are and You just observe them and let them go and stay in the flow state. Continue in the flow. Let let things go. Another tool that's excellent is prayer. I think most people are familiar with prayer. I will say, though, that from my background, I was brought up Christian for the most part. And I had a lot of family members who were Christians. And then um, I stopped being a part of any organized religion when I was like 11 ish, but I had a lot of family members who were and prayer for me in that specific instance in that environment was not conducive to making me feel safe or making me feel um, fulfilled. So if you associate prayer with something that was a negative experience for you, I would urge you to research, and I know that sounds weird, I'm a researcher, but research some other prayers and types of praying or praying in different languages. That can always be very helpful in bringing prayer back into your life. Because I was very resistant to prayer just because of those experiences and the circumstances surrounding that upbringing. But I found that when I researched prayers that were more in alignment with my beliefs and my values and that weren't attached to like an organized religion, I was able to embrace prayer much easier. And I actually enjoyed praying after that. So yes, I would definitely urge you to research some prayers that are not necessarily attached to a major religion and just see if anything feels right. 
read a few. If they don't feel right, move on. You can even do a poem. I've actually got poems that are like about gratitude or sorrow or different things, grief. And I feel like sometimes those are even prayers when they're said in a certain way with a certain knowing behind them. So you can do any of those things, but prayer is also another great tool. Meditation is a big one. I know you've heard meditation and mindfulness for at least five to 10 years now. That's been the big thing. Meditation, though, can be anything. And I know that that's weird to hear because we've been kind of, um, we've been kind of told that meditation is you sit down, legs crossed, ohm state, on a pillow, you know, or during yoga, and you either chant something or whatever. And everybody has their specific way of meditating. And there's so many different ways. And I just want you to know that none of those ways are right or wrong. They're just ways to do it. And so meditation can be done in an array of ways. I prefer guided meditations because my brain tends to chatter a lot. And I find that when I have a guided meditation and I have someone on the other end of this meditation in the quiet telling me what I should do next, it gives my body something to focus on and then I'm able to quiet the mind with my breathing. So my mind, I start counting my breaths to occupy my mind and then my body starts doing the other things. Like when they say to breathe into your arm, I will like my body will feel, you know, the arm. And while I'm breathing and counting, I get to a place where I'm in a meditative state and I'm not constantly having running thoughts. Uh, so that might be an option for you. Meditation for some people is just sitting quietly, laying quietly. Um, I actually also, one of my favorite ones is walking meditation. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh, who was a, he was a Buddhist practitioner, he did a lot of walking meditation. And I find that to be very effective because again, my nervous energy that I have sometimes can be walked out in steps and very fluently flow in a flowing way while I'm doing the meditation. So I, I love walking meditation for that reason. But there are so, so, so many kinds of meditation. There are apps for your phone. There are free apps. There are paid apps. There's so much. You can incorporate nature and nature sounds and water and just so many, so many things. And there are other things that we do that are kind of forms of meditation. So it may not be meditation in and of itself, but somebody might find digging soil in a garden to be meditative when they're prepping the garden you're just getting the soil ready and you're running your hands through and you're being present with the feeling of that and that's what you're doing you're just working with the ground or working with clay or pottery or whatever it is that you're working with in that moment that's in a way meditative so just incorporate more meditation into your life Visualization is the last tool that I have to add to your healing journey. Visualization is very important and we touched on this some, but um, visualize your actual authentic self that is basically has all those layers and all those bad programs peeled away. So you visualize that person and you just remember that you're working to let that person shine easier more and more every day. You're doing the work and you're getting there. And she or he or they are just shining, 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 and they're just going to get brighter. So you visualize how that looks. But also you want to visualize how you want to feel. So if I want to feel at peace every day and I want to walk through my life with peace, I'm going to visualize what that feels like, what makes me feel peaceful. So... When I'm wanting to feel peaceful, I visualize myself on the cliffs of the sea, like in Ireland or Maine or somewhere where they have very tall cliffs that reach down to the sea. 
and I'm standing on the cliff and I'm wearing a very flowy dress and the dress is just blowing gently in the wind and I can feel the breeze on my skin and I can hear the ocean waves very rhythmically back and forth and I can feel in that moment what that peace inside me feels like to be connected with all that is and I can radiate that peace anywhere that I want it to go I feel like I can radiate that peace all the way to the sun and back. That's the type of visualization you want to do. You want to visualize that feeling, how you want to feel. For me, when I'm standing on a cliffside with the ocean in the background, with the sun shining on my face and with the breeze and everything, that's how I want to feel walking through my life. So visualization is extremely important in getting us in alignment with ourselves, with our body, with our minds, and with our path. Now, as we're ending here, I want to say that healing from trauma ultimately requires us to go from feeling unsafe all the time, or a majority of the time, and believing that the world and our own bodies sometimes are unsafe, to believing, shifting those beliefs to We are now always safe in our bodies, minds, and environments. So there's a shift from feeling like we're always in danger, we're always unsafe, to no, let's change that narrative. I'm always safe. I'm I'm not in danger. I am feeling good. I am feeling safe. That's the goal overall, is you're trying to change that barometer and get those beliefs more aligned with the, the, the truth. Because... If you believe in the universal truths, which I do, which a lot of them, there's, there's, I think, I don't remember how many, there's, there's not very many, four or five, six. And one of them is, for one, we are all one, we're all connected, we're all one consciousness divided into billions, basically. And even if you don't believe that about the consciousness, you can see that all life is life, we all have very similar components to being. And that universal truth gives me comfort knowing that things are the way they are because they are supposed to be this way. And knowing that I will go back to whatever that is, if I get if I die, or if I get harmed, or, you know, whatever may come, knowing that those universal truths are still unchanged, makes me feel safe. So if you have anything that makes you feel safe that you can go back to and say, hey, this thing always makes me feel safe. This belief that I hold or this value that I hold or this spiritual um, connection that I hold, anything that you hold that makes you feel safe, go back to that. Just continue to revisit that and you will cultivate that feeling of feeling safe and you will be able to continue when the journey gets tough. Just remind yourself constantly that you're safe. Two key components to reaching the new belief of being safe or being that we are safe is self-love and trust. Self-love, in my opinion, is the biggest step toward healing. Learning to love yourself through the thick and the thin, uh, loving your spirit as you are now and as you change is so important. Loving you because you are deserving of love is a belief you need to cultivate Self-love helps us to aid our wounded child, to, to reassure our wounded child, inner child, and allows us to believe that we have the ability to change the things that no longer serve us. We have that ability. We're the only ones that have that ability. Self-love gives us the love we desperately craved from others along our journey that we did not get, Right? Self-love also reminds us that really our most important, beautiful, and sacred relationship in our human experience is the one that we cultivate with ourselves. I think because there are so many distractions, options, choices, whatever you want to call it in the world, all of it, all of the above, we forget, it's so easy to forget that the most important sacred relationship on our human experience is the one that we cultivate with ourselves. No one can possibly know you as you do. 
explore you, shower yourself in indulgence, and most of all, love yourself. Because even if no one else does, which I'm sure that they do, but even if they didn't, you're there loving yourself. You're going to be there. You're going to be that one person that you always needed. Self-love, super important. The second thing, the last thing, we're at the end. Cultivate trust. Cultivate trust in the knowing. Cultivate trust in the process. And most importantly, cultivate trust in yourself. You can do this. You are doing it. And you cannot get it wrong. That's the best part about the journey, the human experience. So one of those other truths I was talking about in, well, not the universal truths, but one of them that's speculated by a lot of religious philosophers is, or spiritual philosophers, is that you can't get it wrong because you are God incarnate experiencing God. So if you think about it, if we're going to talk about it in primitive um, like symbolism, if you view God as a entity, like God, he, she, them, whatever, um, it would make sense that that entity would want to experience itself in the most ways possible. So it stands to reason that that entity split itself up in many, 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 many different ways, many shards of <laughs> different souls and aspects. And all that if, if all that God is wanting is to experience itself, then you can't get it wrong. You can't do anything wrong, because there is no right or wrong if you're living by that truth. And honestly, even if you're not living by that truth, you still can't really get this wrong. Befriending yourself, knowing yourself, loving yourself, you can never get it wrong. So cultivate that trust with spirit. And as you build a relationship with yourself, you'll remember that you can trust yourself. You will know through your actions that you can count on yourself to show up for yourself. Right? You know that you will be there for you even if no one else is, or no one else was, or no one else will be, you are, you can, you will be. So honor the truth by committing to always trusting yourself and standing by your faith and your decisions, regardless of outside consequences. I'm not saying to avoid accountability there. I just want to be clear. I'm saying don't make decisions based on what others are going to think or feel or what the consequences of the world may be if it is in alignment with who you are and what you believe and what you value. And it's just in alignment with spirit, with who you really are. You can't go wrong. Stick with it. When you know that you can always count on you to be there, to love you and believe in you, that's all you need to have in this moment and every moment. Yeah. Whew. That was another long one. I feel like these two I got really excited about. So I started talking really fast at different points. So I'm going to try my best to de escalate, de excite myself, kind of regulate myself a little bit better especially for future episodes, but I think I just got so excited that I was going, going, going. So I apologize for that. But I feel like we did some good stuff here today, guys. I shared my experiences with you. I shared what helped me with you. I want to remind you that I am not a medical professional or doctor in any way. I have no background in any of this kind of stuff. No therapy, no nothing, no training. I'm not a professional. I am just me. A human being who had an experience and who has collected a whole bunch of research and a whole bunch of experiences and has plopped them into this podcast for you to consume and do with as you wish. 
I do recommend that you see a medical professional if you do have any issues that need to be addressed because they are the most equipped to help you. But I hope that this podcast can at least leave you with some comfort with knowing that you are not alone and with potentially some tools to help you to get by in between. And that's the goal. I just want to be here to share these experiences so that others feel supported, less alone, because we're all in this together. And on that note, I'm going to say goodbye, and I'll see you next time.